This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out WatchCityResearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 97 UX Things podcast. Dan Berlin here, your host and book editor. I'm joined this week by Al Lopez, who wrote the chapter, Work Together to Create Inclusive Products. Welcome, Al. Hey, Dan. Nice to catch up with you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for joining the podcast. Can you tell the folks listening a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Al Lopez, and I am an experience and strategy design consultant for a company here in St. Louis. Um, Fancy way of just saying I do UX. I am co-president of the St. Louis User Experience Group, where we hold monthly meetings teaching folks about what user experience is and how to overcome barriers, get in the field, etc. I am also queer, non-binary, pronouns they, them, proud Black Mexican. In my spare time, I'm a fabric artist, dog parent, and student. Wonderful. Thanks for all of that. And do you tend to focus on one area of UX over another? Are you on the research side, design, strategy, content? Where, where do you focus? I would say in my T-shape, my base is research, mm-hmm. but I'm more of a generalist at this point. I started off more in the research. I actually have a psych degree. I'm going back to school now to get some of those graphic design things. So I kind of am doing a little of everything. I'm trying to really break into the the strategy side. That's what's been interesting most lately. Nice. As a a researcher who is very scared of the visual design side, I I give you credit for for doing that. Um, And and can you tell us about your um, career journey? How did you discover UX and how did you wind up where you are today? Yeah, so I like I said, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, and I actually didn't discover what I wanted to do until my senior year. I took an industrial organizational psychology course and fell in love with it. IO Psych is the psychology of business, the ins and out, mm. but that requires a PhD, which I didn't see in my future, so it just wasn't feasible at the time. Right. But one of the first jobs I had was for a small IT company in St. Louis right out of college. And they had folks that did the hardware work, but they didn't have developers. So I figured I would go learn some development so that way I would be more valuable. So I started through this local nonprofit program called Launch Code, and they actually teach people without tech degrees how to get into tech. But what I found was that I really didn't like the coding side. Mm. And it was just not my jam, but I heard someone talk about UX. And I was like, oh my God, this combines everything that I've always wanted to do. It gave me the psych perspectives of being able to have empathy and understand how people solutionize, but it also gave me kind of more like a rapid feedback. We can go out and discover if our product isn't working pretty easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I love that sort of rapid feedback and then combining the business side as well just seemed like all everything that I was interested in. So I actually volunteered for that speaker and said, hey, you know. I'm willing to do some free labor. I just really want to shadow you and learn about this. And he was, he he was an individual that was working with contractors and had his own company. So someone saying free labor sounds great. So it it worked out really good. Um, I got to shadow some research sessions for a startup and I just fell in love. It just felt Mm -hmm. so right. And it was so crazy to me because going to a liberal arts college, 
I had to try so many different sort of things like running sound at a play or doing economics courses and nothing ever felt like, oh, I want to do this. It just kind of felt like just getting that grade. But when I started learning about UX, I felt like, no, this is where I belong. So that's what happened for me. Great. And I love what you mentioned about volunteering. Uh, That's something that is great for folks who want to break into the field and there's no better way to not only build your resume or build the experience, but just to to experience the UX field and, you know, go volunteer and note take for someone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and even now I'm five years into my career and I still find myself volunteering sometimes. For instance, there's a program in St. Louis that I'm helping with to rebuild their site. And I understand at this point that I could be getting paid for my work, but this program is just so important to me that I think it's valuable to just give back some of our time. Right. So I still kind of recommend that. And, you know, not necessarily a full-on year-long project, but, you know, a couple consultation hours here and there go a long way. Yep, yep. And to your point, it's so important to remember that there's a fine balance between volunteering to get experience and ensuring to be paid for your work mm-hmm. when interning, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so you folks want to keep that in mind, you know, don't want to over volunteer because there are opportunities to right. ensure to get paid for your work. Right. Agree. Cool. So your chapter here, work together to create inclusive products. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that, please? Yeah, so my chapter is all about why we need diverse spaces, what that actually even means, and kind of creating those diverse spaces. And once you create those, how to keep those diverse spaces. Mm -hmm. Great. So let's dig in there. Um, Can you tell us about creating and and fostering these, these spaces for folks? Yep. So I think first what we have to dig into is just kind of what does diversity mean? Because when we talk about so much, you know, DNI practices and things, so we don't dig into what that actually talks about. People just think off the back, you know, race or gender. But there's so many different sorts of diversity, past gender, ethnicity, it could be culture, age, religion, sexual orientation, ability, lived experiences, and we want to make sure we have representatives of all of those sort of areas. Mm-hmm. And when we're creating those spaces. Ways that we can do that is including diversity in our recruiting practices, whether that is our hiring practices, our studies and our designs, and questioning those services. And there are people out there that can help if a company is struggling with recruiting process, being diverse. There are people out there that can help take a look at your recruiting practices and help you to figure out how to reach more diverse populations. That said, um, regarding uh, hiring practices, so you know, first off, on the participant side, uh, folks can actually go listen to Megan Campos's interview on the podcast because we talk uh, all about inclusive recruiting pra- uh, practices. There, the how about recruiting uh, employees though? How can in, can companies and and people look beyond their immediate circles to to yeah. ensure that their practices are more inclusive? So a big thing is just getting the word out. Hmm. I have had a lot of folks come to me. I've had a lot of minority mothers come to me and say, hey, my child is in tech, but had no idea that this program was going on. So people aren't even knowing that the opportunities are out there. So that's a problem. So one thing that you can do is you can reach out to your local nonprofit boot camps 
or HBCUs or reach out to like your black student unions or different clubs or organization. And a great thing, I understand not everyone has time for this, but if you do have time, a great thing would be to offer some sort of mentorship from your current employees to those. That to me is a great way to get folks into the field. I know for myself, I take on mentees and help them to get into the field. And it's about building those connections and helping people to understand what's possible. Sometimes folks don't even know to apply to your program, and that's a problem. Hmm. That said, you know, that said, it's all about building those authentic relationships outside mm-hmm. your circles, not just looking outside your circles, but building those authentic mm-hmm. relationships. And you mentioned mentorship. That's one great way. But what are some other ways that folks can can do this? So a way that you can do this is to just educate yourself on diversity issues. Whether that's reading up on the issues, listening to po- podcasts that depict lives and experiences that are different from yours. I love to read. Attend your actual diversity and inclusion trainings in your organization and actually listen to them. I know for me, when I go to those sort of circles, I'm always finding people willing to talk more about their lived experience or willing to share what sort of ways I can help them to lower those barriers that they're having. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing to surround yourself with people that don't look like you. There's things such as like meetup where you can go and find different groups to hang out with. LinkedIn is a great thing to network and work around with, or you have um, local St. Louis created 28 black designers. You can look at places like that. What about resources for individuals? Um, mm-hmm. So you mentioned all right, making sure that you go to your company's training and using uh, resources available there. But for for folks out on their own or for folks who don't have that company backing, are there are there specific resources uh, or places uh, folks can look? Yeah. So Harvard actually has a thing called implicit bias. And it's right online. It's called the Harvard Project Implicit. Mm -hmm. If you Google that, it'll pull up and you can take a short quiz and it doesn't go to anyone else. It's just to you. So there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. But you can kind of get a start to see over what are some biases that you have. And from there, you can start to realize how you can break some of those down. Mm -hmm. Ways that you can do that are increasing contact with people who are different from you. Noticing those positive examples of minority groups that pop up and then really work to avoid that confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is you already have a belief. So when you see things that affirm that belief, they pop up a little more than things that counter confirm that belief. So you want to think about and question yourself, you know, and this is something all of us can do with various things. I know for myself, I had to do this with saying yes too much. So I'd have to think and stop when someone would ask me to do something. Is this something I actually have time for or is this going to stress me out later? So something you do is stop and think and is this a true fact that I'm thinking about this group or is this something that's made up? That's a great point. Uh, Taking a look at one's own biases are, are a key thing here. You mentioned confirmation bias, but are there other ways that we can be mindful of our biases and notice them within our own actions yes so i think we all come with biases it's just part of the human condition Mm -hmm. it's it's not going to be good to spend time to feel shame about it you know we all have them it's just better to confront those so i think stopping and pausing and seeing where those thoughts come from or if you have someone that is a close trusted friend that you know has 
maybe a mindset that you'd like to be closer with, maybe having discussions with them and asking them to help you kind of work through those. But we all have an opportunity to examine our thoughts and decide what's true and what's not. You know, sometimes what we're surrounded with doesn't always allow us to have a broader perspective. And so it's good to zoom out and see what they say, see the forest instead of see the tree. Mm. So I recommend that get around more diverse groups, get around, you know, diversity of thought. For me, when I was in college, I went to a school that mainly had folks from farm towns. And that was so interesting for me coming from sort of an inner city But getting to see that perspective helped me to kind of understand why they thought the way they did. And so I would recommend to other people, switch up your circles, get learning, you know, broaden your opportunities and make friends. Yeah. And one thing we as humans don't ask ourselves nearly enough is why have I reached this conclusion? Why have I determined this is the answer? If we start asking ourselves that more, you know, we can start hopefully thinking about our biases more. Mm-hmm. And I would tell people to make sure you're having grace with yourself. Hmm. We all have biases. So it's not a time to have j- shame or be judging yourself. It's just a time to grow and do better. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, how can folks overcome that? Because it's, it's, it's tough to overcome these things that they, folks may have been thinking for a long time and they mm-hmm. have this realization. How can How can they move on? For me, therapy has helped a lot. Journaling, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're being real here, to be honest. Please. But once you've gotten to a point where you've overcome those biases and you've become a more complete human and you can look back on it, the journey is really worth it. Yeah. And you may feel shame to start. You know, it's hard to start change for anyone. But once you're over that, not only will you become more enriched, your experiences will become more enriched, your circles will be more enriched, and you'll have a richer life. So I think it's better to just focus on where the end goals are and understanding that we're all on a journey. No one's perfect, but we'll get there. Yeah. Great. Thanks for that. You also mentioned... um places where folks can look to to increase their circles to mm-hmm. be surrounded by folks who look different than them and you mentioned uh, student unions and uh, historically black colleges I know NSBE the National Society of Black Engineers mm-hmm. does some great work any other places where where folks could be um, looking into to, to form those authentic connections I would totally use the internet to find what's there. I have a friend that as soon as the kind of pandemic hit and all the meetups start, the meetings, as the UX meetings started going online, she attended meetings all over the world, like all over. (laughs) And I, that's something that's so easy. We have a phone in our hand. We have a phone in our pocket at all times. Usually you can easily Google events that are happening or maybe different things that you're interested in. For example, there's meetup.com, which sometimes I go to a Spanish speaking group. I'm not good at speaking Spanish, but I like to surround myself with more experiences. So I will go to that. And that is a wide range of people. So I suggest things like that or networking through LinkedIn or just looking at different events or things that are coming up. In St. Louis, we have a lot of different festivals 
for instance, like International Festival, the Hispanic Festival, we have those where you can go and experience those sort of cultures. I'm sure lots of other folks have things as well if you just put a little research in. Yep. And I guess we are kind of lucky in, in this pandemic world in that there are a lot more of these virtual events popping up, mm-hmm. uh, which allow us to participate more. Yeah, for one of our events coming up, we have someone speaking from Poland, which is so great because when would we ever be able to get someone that international without paying a bunch of money? Right, right. So, um, Something you and I have chatted about in the past is creating a safe space for mm-hmm. discussion and for expressing views. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that in terms of you know, whether folks are at a small organization or a larger one. What, what are some of the steps that folks can take for creating those, those safe spaces? Mm-hmm. I would say first tackling some of those biases within yourself. And if you're noticing it within others, speak on those. All of us can help. And you may not know the power that you have when you're speaking on those. Someone may not know that it's not acceptable until you speak up. And you speaking up helps a less privileged person. Yeah. And also what you can go through is understand that in order to have those diverse teams and cultures, you have to actually make space for those people. You have to allow them to have a voice in your team. You have to allow them to grow. And you also have to have positions for them to advance up. Lots of times what will happen with companies is they will get the diverse hires in, but they create no growth opportunity from them mm. or no way for them to get leadership positions, et cetera, et cetera. And so those diverse populations will leave for other places just to get opportunity. Right. Just because you're hiring a diverse set of folks doesn't mean that your company is diverse. Uh, mm-hmm. Often enough, it's the same folks leading and and uh, we need to find ways to 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 alleviate that and it's definitely it it takes all of us to just look around and notice and see what things are like and we all have ways that we can help and assist for instance one of the things that i do is if i hear that there's some job openings i'll post in my local groups and things so folks will know like oh there's there's some openings up that i can apply to just help out What about the naysayers? You know, let's say you're in a meeting and all of your personas are, you know, just the typical names that we we deal with and and we want to try to make them more diverse to to speak to a larger audience and you have some naysayers. How do we deal with that? So I understand that there will always be naysayers, but if we're being honest, this is really the ethical thing to do. Mm. And past ethics if we want to get past just being a good human it really increases company profit margins when you increase diversity according to forbes diverse companies actually produce 19 percent more revenue in comparison to non-diverse companies yep and then having those diverse teams are going to create diverse solutions with a different diversity of thought and create just overall better products that are going to work for more people And the diversity of thought that's going to come from that is going to work for more users, which again leads to more profits. And if we're not wanting to get in ethics, you know, money talks. But I do really believe that as UX professionals, we have to be advocates of diversity to be good at our job. We want our products to work for as many folks as possible. 100%. Thank you for that. You also mentioned boot camps as a as a mm-hmm. place to look for folks because you know we want to make sure that we are open to uh, hiring folks with the with with different experiences, right? 
but there are so many boot camps out there, especially mm-hmm. these days, um, professing to make you a UXer in a week, for example. Mm-hmm. How do we know which are the ones, you know, where people are coming out from boot camps ready to go for real? I would say offer those folks apprenticeships, internships to give you a way to determine if they're right for your company or not. Hmm. I do believe that you do have to take a risk on folks. You might be that one that gives that one person a chance that no one else will give them a chance they really deserve to be in the field. Uh, so there's a local nonprofit here in St. Louis called Launch Code, and I actually went through them to get into the field. And after your educational part of the program, they'll do a three month to six month apprenticeship where you can see if you like the company and the company likes you, mm. but it's paid. Right. So that's what I would say is to try to have it paid because what you're asking people to do is rearrange their life. Um, I understand that this isn't available for everyone. So if that's not the case, I would say do more in-depth interviews, looking over their work, seeing you know what it is that they've done so far in the field, those sort of things. But if all possible, I would say internships, apprenticeships. What a great idea. Apprenticeship is, is almost not in our vocabulary here, at least mm-hmm. in America. Um, what a wonderful way to try something to understand if it works in both directions. That's something that mm-hmm. just doesn't happen here. So, Al, uh, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything else about your chapter that you were hoping to convey here today? Yeah. I would say all of us can address systematic issues that are existing in the workplace. Those of us in a position of privilege owe us to our UX cousins. Hmm. If you see something, speak up. And for instance, if your job only hires people of a certain skin tone, ask why. If your job is not releasing its diversity statistics, there's probably a reason for that. So to look into that and then also to think about who it is that you're allowing to have privilege. And what I mean by that is when it comes time to recommend folks for a job, are you only recommending a certain kind of people? And that, for instance, could be only men, only white people, only college educated people, only people 30 and younger, any sort of those things. We have to broaden our circles. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for all of that. This has been very helpful and interesting. Uh, In our final moments here, we love getting a piece of career advice. Do you have a piece of advice you can give for folks either breaking into the field or who have been around for a while? Yes. One of my favorite pieces of advice is to always negotiate. Hmm. When I was first starting out, I actually got some really bad advice from an old mentor that kind of told me to just be grateful for getting my first job in UX, to not negotiate for fear that they would be offended of that. Well, now that I'm older, I know that that's not true at all. And it's actually super common to negotiate. And the worst thing will happen is they'll just say no, but you'll still at least have a job offer. So from there, you can decide whether or not you want it, but they won't take the offer back. So, you know, it's, it's always great to negotiate. It's common practice in the field. It may feel difficult to do at first, but you can role play with friends or a mentor to help you get through that. Or you can definitely like write out what you want to say beforehand. But I would say get paid, get paid. Absolutely. Uh, that is a wonderful piece of advice. Always negotiate because uh, it doesn't hurt to ask. Great. So Al, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me, Dan. This has been great. 
My guest today has been Al Lopez, who wrote the chapter Work Together to Create Inclusive Products. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, everyone. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.